This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Great to be back at Anchor City today. Um, We've had the uh, privilege the last two weeks to have uh, Pastor Matt come over to Anchor Southwest and also share from God's Word. Um, He's trekked over there past the King George's River, you know, um, border in southwest Sydney, a bit of cross-cultural ministry. And so I suppose it's my turn to come to Anchor City this morning. Uh, Pastor Arnaldo's overseas, of course, um, spending some time after uh, visiting one of the churches, our supporters abroad, um, and he'll be back, you know, like in a week or two. Now, whether you've been with us for the last three Sundays or today is your first with us, let me just quickly recap, bring you up to speed. Um, what Anchor City has been going through in terms of a talk series. Free talk so far, fourth one today, another four to go. And these series of talks comes under one theme, uh, and the big idea is this. Question, how do you live a life that is ordered around the way of Jesus? In other words, we don't want to know just what Jesus said, his teachings, his parables, his sayings, all of that is important. And nobody's denying that. Uh, but we want to take it the next step further. We want to know how do we practically live it out as he did in our lives every day. First Sunday was about living like Jesus, where we are inspired, where we are moved, where we are guided by the same Holy Spirit. The second Sunday, living like Jesus, where we love his word, that is God's word, meditate on it, read it. And then last Sunday, living like Jesus and praying as he taught us to pray, as well as the way he modelled it. Well, today, we're looking at attentive obedience, how Jesus lived in attentive obedience to the Father, and we want to know, how can we do the same? Now, I just wanted to share that when I was told a couple of weeks ago that I'd be speaking today, the first thing that I did, as you do, is you quickly look up and see what topic you're going to speak on. And all it took for me was to see the word holiness, not twice, once, and I thought this was a setup. Somebody gave me a hospital pass, as they say in football. <laughs> My initial reaction in not wanting to speak on this topic was not because anything else, but I was thinking about myself, my brokenness, my sinfulness, the many times that I've let God down. But that's where we get it wrong. You see, I believe that when we hear the word obedience, straight away we have this knee-jerk reaction, this negative um, view, we tense up, we shut down because, you know why? Because culture tells us, or so we think, that we're independent, self-determined, free thinking, and any talk of obedience is an encroachment on my personal liberty. Also, we often mistakenly think uh, any talk of obedience is to just, just try harder, just try harder, or it's another beatdown. And we've all heard that sermon before, some of us. I just want to say, that's not what today's talk's about. And why do I say that? Well, first, we're starting with Jesus, not us. It's not a cop-out, it's biblical. It's a healthy way to approach this topic. It reminds me of a Christian older friend who would often say to me in that Oka kind of accent, he goes, don't be an Aussie brush turkey. With your head in the ground, and you know what, up. 
He says, always look up to Jesus, son, because that's where it begins. Secondly, why is this talk not a call just to try harder or another beatdown? Today is not Performance Sunday Review Day. The secret to practicing attentive obedience like Jesus lies in something more powerful, profound, compelling. It's multifaceted, and we'll see that in a moment. And most importantly, it's more liberating. This is a talk I needed to hear. This is a passage I needed to read for myself personally with where I'm at in my growth. It can't just be reduced to another throwaway line, fridge magnet, bumper sticker, crash course, master class. No. What I'm hoping is that as we look at Jesus, at his unique, personal, intimate relationship with God the Father, hopefully that will help us to see what attentive obedience looks like. Will help us to gravitate towards attentive obedience. And you know what? It starts from the inside out. That's where it begins. Well, for now, I want to take you to the Bible passage that we'll be spending the majority of our time looking at this morning. And of course, it's in John chapter 5, verse 16 to 30. Here's the context. Like other Jews back then, Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. The camera lens zooms in, and we have a group of people, people who are lame, blind, and paralyzed. They're gathered around this pool. In Aramaic, the call is Bethsaida. I think that's how you pronounce it. Doesn't matter. This is not your typical five-star holiday resort pool where people are sitting around, sipping on cocktails, working on their tan lines. <laughs> this is not an ice bath where Weekend warriors are licking their wounds and trying to recover from the, the day before playing a game. What we're talking about here are people who are suffering. They're after a healing. What they want is just a miracle. And amongst them is this one guy, and like everyone else that day, he's an invalid. That's how the ESV translation puts it. Someone who for 38 years was weak or disabled because of an illness or an injury. And it's this one man, Jesus beelines him, and he has this conversation with him. The man has been lying there for a very long time. He wants to be healed, but every time he wants to get into the pool, someone else gets in before him. And then eventually Jesus says to him, pick up your mat and walk. And just like that, a miracle happens. The day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews tell the man that it's not lawful for him to pick up his mat and walk. He tells the Jews that the man who healed him told him to do so. Later, Jesus meets the man around the temple, and uh, then he tells the Jews it was Jesus who healed him. That's the background, the context leading up to this part of the passage we're looking at. Now, I want to suggest three things. It's tempted to get a four, but three that we should carefully consider. Number one, Jesus knew the Father, verse 16 to 18. Verse 16, the Jews' response to Jesus' healing of the paralytic, it's both unbelievable and amusing. Their attitude was like, yeah, he can walk, but you healed him on the wrong day of the week. <laughs> verse 17, tensions begin to rise when Jesus tells them, God, my Father, is always at work to this day, and I too am working. Verse 18, the Jews now want to kill Jesus. 
Why? Because he's now calling God his father, therefore making himself equal with God. In verse 16 to 18, under the first point, when Jesus is having this dialogue with the Jews, he refers to God, his father, twice. Then from verse 19 right to the end of verse 30, he mentions God as his father eight times. In a total of John chapter 5, it's 15 times he talks about God as his father. And it's a very unusual, unheard way of referring to God, back then anyway, in a monotheistic, you know, like in a faith. That's why they found Jesus' words inappropriate and offensive. And so why is this important? Well, attentive obedience for Jesus doesn't happen apart from God, the Father. It's because God is his Father that he obeys him. There's a relational dimension to what Jesus is talking about here. You see, genuine, willing, wholehearted, ongoing and attentive obedience flows out of and is because of a loving and healthy relationship that Jesus has with the Father. More on that later. Now, I want to be careful, and I don't want to uh, come across as downplaying personal responsibility or blame-shifting in any way, but, you know, statistically, a large proportion of people who get incarcerated, and the numbers are growing in the state of New South Wales, especially amongst men, Either they didn't know their father or they had a terrible father. And so the judicial system and policing and corrections and and parole boards, God bless them, they try. But they're constantly challenged in trying to get troubled, resentful, rebellious men to reform, rehabilitate and obey the law. Why? Because... For these men, they've been disconnected or estranged from their earthly father for a long time. Someone who was supposed to play a critical role in their formative years when they were growing up. Now, likewise, every person who becomes a follower of Jesus was once an orphan. Cut off from God. Alienated from him. It wasn't God's fault. It was because of our sins. It's not until we are adopted into God's family, then finally we become his children. And then, can we live a life of obedience? Now, those who are parents, or we would all know know this, having a parent or parents, obedience is more likely to occur when you invest, spend time, and are in a relationship with your child. There's always the exception, of course. The kid who wants to slurp you at midnight before bedtime. <laughs> God's the same. His first priority is to connect. Be, his priority is to connect with us before He asks anything of us. Final thing I want to say, just to highlight the difference between Jesus and the Jews that He was talking to back then. You know, a legislator, they might draft, create, pass laws. And we obey those laws because they're the laws of land, not because of the legislator. But to tell you the truth, the reason why I obey it, of course we should be motivated by godliness, but it's, it's because there's consequences if we don't comply. This was the problem with the Jews in the passage back then. They knew the law, at least they thought they did. They were zealous about the law, but they saw God more as a legislator and as God the Father, like Jesus did. As 
followers of Jesus, knowing our Heavenly Father like Jesus, helps us to move towards obedience, practice attending obedience like he does. And it's not a burden. We're reminded that it's a blessing because you know why? Because it reminds us of who we belong to. That's what it does. So what's our view of God? Is he a lawmaker or is he the Father? Yes, in his word, he gives us the pattern and the way to live. But I think sometimes we've missed the point where we forget that he's God, the heavenly Father, who wants to reach out to us and relate to us through his son. Now, I mean, we can all agree, um, doing the right thing is not always easy. But knowing that God is our Father through Jesus means we trust that he knows what's best for us. He wants to bless us, grow us, see us mature, flourish, and become a blessing to others just like his son Jesus when he healed the paralytic The second thing that we should consider if we're to live in attentive obedience like Jesus, number two, is Jesus does what the Father is always doing from verse 19 to 23. It's a no-brainer, but stay with me on this one. Sounds straightforward, but think about it. How can we live like Jesus in attentive obedience and do what the Father does? That is the work God the Father has prepared for us in advance, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Well, by being humbly dependent on God. Verse 19. Jesus can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus is equal with God, but he's not independent of him. He's still subordinate to him. He still submits to him. And just as he grew up around his old man Joseph, The carpenter, the chippy, he watched him and he imitated him and he learned from him. It's the same with his heavenly father who leads him to this paralytic. Humble dependence is the posture that we need to adopt in order to live that life of attentive obedience before God. That's how we get on with doing his work in his world. This is why attentive obedience like Jesus, it's not about trying harder. It's about doing what is counterintuitive. It's actually letting go and letting God convict, direct, correct, and shape the way we live. The other thing that I want to say, how can we be like Jesus in doing what God does? Remember the love of God. Verse 20. This is the basis for the son's humble dependence on the father. The father loves the son. God's love inspires him, it motivates him, it drives him, it sustains him in his obedience towards the Father. Experiencing the love of God through Jesus is the fountain from which all obedience flows from. God's love, it's a lake. Our obedience down the stream is like a babbling brook. That's where it flows. The other way that we can do what God does is by remembering that it is a privilege to partner with him in his work, verse 20 to 21. Still verse 20, the father's love leads him to show the son all that he himself is doing. The love of the father for the son expresses itself in self-disclosure. Don Carson says. And then finally in verse 20, and greater works than these will the father show the son, so that you may marvel. 
Verse 21, these great works include Jesus raising the dead back to life. Verse 22, Jesus exercising his judgment in the end so that, verse 23, people may honour him just as they honour the Father. What a privilege. What a privilege it is as followers of Jesus that we're not groping around in the darkness, we're not speculating, we're not second-guessing. Instead, God reveals himself to us, he's spoken to us through his Son and his Word, and then he calls us into partnership with him to be on mission with him in his world. Here we have this beautiful picture of how attentive obedience is possible in doing what God does. Dependence upon God, loved by God, invited by God to do the work of God. Speaking to a younger man, and he said, when I was a child, my father took his life, my best mate gets murdered, my girlfriend gets kidnapped, my mother slowly dies of cancer, and so I turned to alcohol and drugs to kill my pain. But then I remember as a young kid, my nan taking me to church, and all I do remember is they spoke about God and Jesus and his word. And chaplain, all I want to do is be like Jesus. I want to do the right thing, but I can't escape the dragon. I can't shake it off, the drugs and the alcohol. Talk about God's perfect timing. He gets a John chapter 5 sermon in 10 minutes. <laughs> let go, let God. His love saves, it satisfies, and it sustains. He will show you the way. He will enable you to live the way the Son lives. The third and the last thing that we should consider if we are to live in attentive obedience like Jesus, number three, Jesus calls us to trust him. Verse 24. Verse 24, as followers of Jesus, it starts with what? Repentance and faith. Listening to what he says and believing in the one who sent him. Now, we might think, Attentive obedience is only about doing what is right, refraining from what is wrong. But attentive obedience begins with a willingness to listen to Jesus and a commitment to trust God's Word. Sometimes we can get all caught up on what is permissible, what is prohibited, and we lose sight of what's most important. Who's that? It's a person. His name's Jesus. The Jews back then who were talking to Jesus in chapter 5, they made this terrible mistake. They were more concerned with their understanding or at least their interpretation of the issue regarding what was permitted on the Sabbath that they failed to see. He was standing right in front of them, the incarnated one come in the flesh. His name is Jesus. The one who's Lord over everything. Now, if we're not going to listen to Jesus and recognise him for who he says he is, no amount of effort, discipline or good intentions is going to make any difference whatsoever, because in the end, we haven't submitted. We haven't surrendered. Attentive obedience starts with listening and believing in the Son God has sent. In John chapter 10, we won't have it up on the screen here, but Jesus talks about, I am the good shepherd, my sheep know my voice. When they hear my voice, they respond, and I know them by name. I remember speaking on that passage years ago and it just blew my mind that in Palestine back then, shepherds would name their sheep individually by name. Can you believe that? I was talking to an Aussie here and he said, you know, sheep, they're 
pretty dumb animals. You know, that's why we got kelpies and cattle dogs. Okay? But here Jesus is talking about such an intimate and personal connection with his people that he says, when they hear my voice, they're attentive. They listen if they are my own. That's what it means to listen to Jesus as the good shepherd. This is why behind every thought or act of disobedience that we commit, you know what? It's fundamentally a lordship issue, a trust issue. Somebody should have told me this 20 years ago. God's people also listen to Jesus and take him seriously because it's the difference between life and death, between slavery to sin and freedom in Christ, between eternity with God or eternity apart from God. But here's the one thing, verse 24. It doesn't just speak about eternal life in terms of the future sense. Towards the end it says that those who listen to the Son and trust in the Father, they do not come into judgment. But what's happened is they have crossed from that great chasm from death to life. For God's people, eternity starts not the day you die. It's the day you come to know Jesus by His grace. So long before we get close to even looking at the specifics of what it looks like to obey God, attentive obedience begins at the starting blocks of repentance and faith. Every other thought, word and deed lived in attentive obedience to Him. That's the fruit of repentance and faith. Religion says obedience is about what you do, your output, your performance. The gospel says it's about a person. It starts with Jesus. It's about receiving rather than achieving. A Christian hospital chaplain wrote an excellent piece that was circulated amongst others this week, and it was on John chapter 5. Man, that's two times in a row this week. And this chaplain has had recently to deal with not being able to walk in the last couple of months. And the title of the reflection was, What Does It Mean to Be an Invalid? And in a reflection, this chaplain makes the following observations. In the Bible times, invalids back then were considered invalid. It was the common view back then, brutal. But it was the times where they saw people like this as not making any meaningful contribution to the community. Even under strict Old Testament laws, there was strict rules for who could approach God in his temple. The category of people who were forbidden were invalids the blind, the lame, the paralysed. Even the sacrifices that they were to bring were not to be blind, lame or paralysed. Invalids could participate in other aspects of worship, but when it came to God's people, only an unblemished man could become a priest. Only an unblemished sacrifice could be offered to God. The blind and the lame and the crippled, not per se, but it, in general, it points forward to something else. And that is, we are broken because of sin. And because of sin, we are excluded from God's presence, which only a perfect priest and a sacrifice could atone for. It's Jesus. That's what this chaplain says. This world is broken because we are broken due to sin. Jesus is the only one who can fix it. He's the only one who can restore us. Like the paralytic in John 5, Jesus heals, it should remind us that we're all, from conception, 
from birth, spiritually sick, helpless, sinful, unable to come back to God. We have an invalid entry into his presence without Jesus. We can only begin to obey God because Jesus has opened the way back to God the Father. Once again, it starts with repentance and faith and obeying the Son. That is the way back to attentive obedience. In conclusion, as we come to a close, I did say earlier on, today is not a performance review Sunday. No one's going there. It's not like we're going to have a questionnaire that you fill in after the service. Uh, you submit it with the pastoral team and they have a review. That's what you call a call. That's not anchor. Thank God. But what we cannot ignore is what Jesus has to say here towards the end of the passage. His concern is for the believer, that there's accountability, that his followers are responsible for what God has blessed them with. Here's what Jesus says. He tells us that God, his Father, has delegated his authority to do two things. Verse 26, give life. Verse 27, execute judgment. And what this means is that on judgment day, the following will take place. Verse 25, when the dead hear the voice of Jesus, they will come alive. And verse 28, all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. How about that? No more Halloween. This is the real deal, my friends. <laughs> in addition, there will be a separation that takes place in verse 29. Those who have done good for the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, let's not get it wrong, as the narrative says. Let's not get it twisted, man. Okay? Jesus is talking about how good works... He's not talking about how good works secures your place in heaven. There's no box seat in heaven for people who do good works, thinking that that's how they make it in there. The Bible's always clear that God's people are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus. The point that Jesus is making here is how do you tell the difference between genuine faith and unbelief? The answer is it's in the fruit by their good works. Jesus, in another part of the Bible, says every healthy tree bears good fruit and an unhealthy tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit and an unhealthy tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down, it's thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will recognize them by their fruits. The way... God's people live in attentive obedience to the Father matters because it's a testimony to our faith that we profess in Jesus. So in the end, there's only two ways to live. It doesn't matter what your gender is, what your social status is, your postcode, your profession, your aspirations, your political views, your hobbies, your preferences, what car you drive, what make, what model. It doesn't matter. There's only two ways to live. It only boils down to that. Either attentive obedience like Jesus produces good works and finishes with the resurrection of life for some, or obedience leads to disobedience leads to evil and finishes with the resurrection of death for others. Now, Anchor City, I'm just following the script here. Um, 
Anyway, you get what you pay for. These sermons for free. I already said I didn't want to talk on this. I found it challenging, convicting, but this is the passage I needed to read, and this is the message that is good for us, for our growth, for our maturity. So let's wrap it up by going back to that paralytic who is now healed in John 5. In verse 14, when Jesus later finds the man who he healed, hanging around the temple, notice what Jesus says to him. He says, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus wasn't saying to the man, Don't sin or you'll end up in a far worse physical condition. No. What he was saying to the man was, You have been healed by the power of God. Go now and live a life of godly obedience. Because failure to do so, it's going to end in judgment. Think about it. How sad would it have been for this man to meet Jesus, experience his incredible healing power, only to walk away and live a life where there was no regard for God, no gratitude towards him, no desire to honour him. That's a tragedy, my friends. When it comes to the text, we're never really told in the end what eventually happens to the man. Does he listen to Jesus? Does he follow through in the way of the master? No, we, do, we just don't know. But what we do know is what we've heard today. What's our response? Is it repentance, faith and obedience? Just like Jesus who submitted to the will of God the Father? This pool back then near the temple called Bethsaida, in the original language it means house of kindness, mercy. And the hope and the prayers is that as we hear the good and glorious news of Jesus today, God's kindness to us, his desire to bless us with mercy, that we would respond appropriately. God has made Jesus judge, and his judgment is just, verse 30. But let's not forget, this is the same Jesus who submitted himself to God's judgment. It's the same Jesus who went to the cross for our sins. It's the same Jesus that after three days, God vindicates him and raises him back to life. It's the same Jesus that if we put our trust in him and he continues to lead the way and we follow in his footsteps, we ourselves on that last and great and glorious day will be vindicated too. Jesus has done all he could to save us. God has been merciful. Jesus has lived that life as the perfect example of what it means to live in attentive obedience. May we, as his people, continue to do the same with his grace, with his Holy Spirit, inspiring us and leading us all the way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you haven't left us in the dark, but you have given us your son, Jesus, your perfect son, who has come and has gone before us and has lived that life as an example for us. And so we pray, help us, Lord, to surrender and to submit, to repent, to believe, to obey, 
and to live such a life that brings glory to your name. Amen.